This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Mission colon impossible dead reckoning hyphen part one is over. But here at Bush Recaps Theater, we are just getting started. My name is Ariel, and I I don't know. I think Grace got exploded or she fell off a cliff. I'm not entirely sure. I'm sure she's fine. I will hear from her shortly. Uh, but I'm not alone. I am joined by someone who's familiar with like death-defying stunts but it's more so when talking about like superhero movies it's kevin mahadeo what's up kevin hello hello be careful though am i really here to partner with you or am i actually a face from your past who's come back to haunt you and kill those that you hold close oh, <laughs> i'm gonna have to pinch <laughs> your face to like see if yeah, you're wearing a mask right really you under there <laughs> Uh, and your voice has magically has magically uh, also been altered. Completely changed, yeah, yeah, yeah. The technology, Listen, that's always super cool. That's the one thing about the Mission Impossible universe you have to accept, is mm-hmm. that mask technology had somehow <laughs> just... That's the one thing they focused on. They didn't focus on, like, getting Minority Report-style computer screens or any mm-hmm. of that. No, just in this world... Mass technology has gone far and beyond the realm of which we could ever hope to achieve here in the real world. Yeah, there's some next stuff going on. I think every once in a while I see them like kind of swipe at their neck afterwards as like implying that yeah. there was like a a a piece of technology that gave them the voice, but you know, it is what it is. It's a lot of things that we live with in this in this wonderful universe. Um but uh, speaking of universes, you should subscribe to the Posture Recaps Theater Universe so you never miss an episode. PostureRecaps.com slash movies uh, for your URL podcast catcher needs. Kevin, what is your... So we're here to talk about, you know, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, part one. Oh, yeah. What is your overall relationship with the with all of these various missions impossible that we have gotten over the years? Um, wow, I, I love this franchise. I don't even know how to describe it. It's so odd, because I saw the first one in theaters, I want to say, uh, when I was a youth. Um, at the very least, I definitely saw the second one in theaters. And I remember seeing the first one and being like, all right, this is entertaining. I mean, still a dope theme song. And the second one, I was just like, is that Limp Biscuit?" And then uh, <laughs> is that I think a white about that dog? song. Yeah, every time I, I think about Mission Impossible, I think about the, the Limp Bizkit cover. Uh, was it Limp Bizkit or no, Metallica, I Disappear? This Either is way, Metallica, it's Metallica, Metallica. Yes, thank you. Man, that's how that's how long it's been, I guess. But yeah, uh-huh. it was Metallica, I Disappear. A, a great cover, honestly. But uh, And I didn't love the second one. We Obviously, with everyone else, called it Kickin' Impossible. There's a lot of just jump kicking and flying off motorcycle kicking in that movie, mm-hmm. John Woo. Um, and then I kind of got back around with the third one. And then I heard so much talk about the fourth one and I just sort of kept with it since. And when I saw fallout, I was like, this is one of the greatest movies I've ever seen in my entire life. And so I went back after fallout and then Mm -hmm. just watched every single one of them in a row once again, and was just like, yeah, these movies are incredible. So I'm, I honestly think, and this is this might sound crazy, but I would love your take here. Please. I think Mission Impossible, shot for shot, might be the best franchise in existence. Because there's seven movies now. Yeah. And the worst ones are the first two, maybe? Like, it's it's crazy when you think about other franchises and how many misses those other ones have and... I just think the consistency of this franchise is kind of out of control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I don't, I don't fully disagree. I think that there are, uh, 
where to begin. There are first of all, <laughs> I would have I would have agreed with you mostly had we been talking about all the movies that came before this movie. But we will get to this movie. <laughs> but in regards to in regards to Mission Impossible as a whole, I similarly am very much a fan. I've been a fan for years. I saw the f- I remember for sure seeing the first one in theaters. I remember seeing the second one and I'm one of those people it's not that bad. Like, I'm sorry. Like, the movie is different, <laughs> but it's really not that bad. Like, I don't understand what the big deal is. Yes, I was, like, a young person. So I think, you know, similar to the way that the Star Wars, you know, early thousands prequels would have hit you in, in a certain place had you been younger. Like, I think there's something to that. But at the end of the day, I really don't think that the second one is that bad. But to that point, I genuinely feel like all of the movies, certainly the first six, have things about them that you can love. Like there are people who think the first one is the best. There are people who think the first one is so different from what the movies have become now that you can't even like count them in the same, you know, in the same universe really. And I I genuinely enjoy all the movies and I have, and I think, you know, they like once movie, uh, once the fourth one came out, Ghost Protocol, they hit like a, like a renaissance, both story-wise, and starting with the third one, really, like having them all connected in a way that really excited me because before that, it had felt like they wanted to more maybe like James Bond it, where each movie was like a little bit separate and unconnected. And so when they started like making it like a universe and they could like rebuild the story off of and four, five, six kind of in rapid succession, at least narratively, uh, took place and carried the story that that, you know, built on itself. And I was very excited by that. And I remember seeing six uh, fallout mission impossible fallout in the theaters and not believing the hype. I was like, there's no way that this movie is going to be as good as people are saying. And I walked out of the theater being like, Holy shit, we did it. Like we solved movies. This right. Incredible. I mean, honestly, we solved movies is a great, <laughs> I, I think thesis. And honestly, I, I will say even for this film, which I know we'll get to, but yeah, there's, that's like listen i saw the gif of henry cavill cocking his <laughs> arms and i was just like i'm in I, it I was just the first that. and only thing the internet had ever seen and yeah. like, <laughs> that's how people were treating it and it was incredible i remember it and i i didn't even really want to like six as much as i did i kind of walked in at an opposite place from where i walked into this movie which was i was like i was very ready to be skeptical for six and like was completely blown away and to that point, I feel like I walked into this movie with very high expectations. I think that, you know, there are people who, you know, you get into the Spider-Verse talk of it all in this movie about like the part one and the part two. And mm-hmm. should that does that make a difference for me personally? I don't really care if a movie is part one or part two or whatever. It's the movie should stand on is and this i guess is is also you could say this about a movie in a greater franchise the movie has to stand on its own and you should be able to judge it on its own separate from this from what may or may not come later or how uh how you know good or bad the previous ones were it certainly has to be has to stand up against its own like internal logic i guess you could say Six felt like I walked out of this movie being like they should have ended it with six. Like, that's oh my I gosh! Got, because it was such a high. Six was such an incredible <laughs> high, and I love it. And I still watch it, and I remember it fondly. But this was there are things about it that I liked that we'll get to. Um, but I it kind of didn't work for me in a fundamental way that all of the other movies did. And uh, I'd love to hear your take on it, obviously. And I guess just overall, in a spoiler-free way, because we'll get to spoilers later on, tell me about your experience and how you felt walking out of this one. Yeah, I... Okay, so going in, I wasn't skeptical. I was pretty pumped because I I loved Six so much. And I know I liked all of these movies, so I didn't think I would be disappointed um, and I honestly watching this movie, I really, really liked it. One, you got Haley Atwell added to the cast, which is mm-hmm. a lot for me already, you know. And then I didn't even know uh, uh, Palm from um, Guardians was in this. So that was a mm-hmm. surprise and a shock. Uh, so like the cast already felt like so stacked throughout this movie for me. And I just really liked 
the action, of course, and the stunts, as always, I think the stunts are out of control. And those moments for me, I think having a recent, I will say, problematic across the board theater experiences with movies and just being sort of just like movies are dead uh in a in a weird way like honestly i'll, I'll say it, after the flash after indiana jones i was like uh, movies are, movies are dead like this <laughs> this reliance on on cg uh-huh. is disgusting it all looks terrible they just rush job all of this and like it doesn't look good and i just feel like going why am i at the theater to watch cartoons in, in a weird way mm-hmm. um i love cartoons and I right, watch but, but when when I know but, a cartoon, <laughs> right? It's it's so it was so bad. And then watching this movie, like certainly there's moments where it, uh, yes, there's CG, but the actual practical stunts were incredible. When he went off that cliff, I literally said out loud in theater, "Jesus Christ!" Like yeah. it's insane. And that experience really melt made me feel like this is what a theater experience should be like this is a movie that i think is worth the money that was put into it Mm. and i hoped people would go watch it it seems like that's sort of up in the air a little bit so maybe theater is dead (laughs) which we could talk (laughs) about i i think um but like my experience walking out is that i was i was jazz i i really liked it i was at first i was like this is right below six for me uh and i've sort of like christ given it, i'm gonna leave I, I, i'm gonna leave you alone to podcast I, by know. <laughs> I, I took a deep breath over the last two days or how did i watch it on friday however many days it's been I took a deep breath i still put it pretty high i think yeah. i probably put it below four in my yeah. opinion so it's like six four seven is where i'm at um yeah. But there was just a lot in there, and it did leave me hyped for the next movie, which is one of the best things you could say for something like this. Right. I, I like. I do feel this movie was more whole than mm-hmm. Across the Spider Verse, but I also loved Across the Spider Verse for different reasons. Yeah. So, yeah, I I don't know. I I was pretty high on it, and I'm very very curious for us to to dive into the the various pieces here. Yeah, I woof. I, I will say uh, just firstly. Like I said before, I walked into the movie wanting to like it. And for the most part, I'm not this person. Like, all my arguments are always, like, for the most part, good faith arguments. And I'm not this person who's, like, trying to dislike things with, you know, with maybe with our own personal bias exceptions. Uh, I really wanted to like this movie. And it goes without saying that people can like whatever they want. So, like, I certainly, I it is very clear to me that I am an outlier. Like, between the critical reception and most of the people that I talk to and that you listen to liked it. So, I'm glad that everybody else has, uh, has ha- had a lot of fun watching this movie. <laughs> Haley Atwell was great. Like, she's a great, genuine, great addition to this movie. And I guess I could go into a little bit more of what did work about this movie in the in the, in the the spoiler section. But generally, the things that did not work for me were things that caused a lot of confusion for me personally. Because you and I both know the other movies fairly well, to different degrees, but overall fairly well. And we have seen all of these actors perform lines where I believed them, right? It's like mm-hmm. the most basic way I could say it. And like, just emote and make me care. Like after so many movies, certainly some of these side, you know, uh, Benji and and Luther, like I care about these people genuinely. When I watch them and they're in danger, I feel that. And I feel, and I, I love that I feel that, right? Because that's what gives the movie in all its ridiculousness, like that gravitas and that emotion that you actually care about these characters. I do not ever remember watching Ving Rhames act in a scene and being like, like I had an out of body experience. I'm like, this is so bad. Like, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the writing. I don't know if I found out later there were like a lot of COVID things that might've been going on. You know, you read articles, a lot of it is just speculation, but something about like people not being in the same room in some cases. And all of that made sense to me immediately because I was just like fundamental things about this movie are just not hitting for me and are not like tracking for me emotionally in a way that I have seen these movies do a million times so easily. So I think that's the thing that I bump up against the most is everything that I felt was missing from the movie 
we have all seen the movies do successfully many, many times. So it just, to me, was like glaring some of the plot stuff. I don't listen. I don't need it to be to make sense. Like to your point about the mask thing, we were making the joke yeah. earlier. So you have to suspend your disbelief, right? For these movies in order to like really enjoy them up to a point. But normally I feel like the, the logic of the movie and all of the people who are involved in the movie, at least on a character level, understand what's going on and care about what's going on, or at least I care about them being in the situation. And there were just entire swaths of this movie that I was like, oh God, this, I'm having such a bad time. And I don't, and, and I was, and this is me, I'm having the conversation in my head at the movie theater. Like, I want to love this movie so bad and I'm not, and I'm so bummed even in the moment that I'm not enjoying it as much as I as much as I did. And it just, it made me sad. Like, I'm not, I'm not happy with the fact that I don't agree with like 90% of America that it was me. <laughs> I do think there's elements to your point, right? Like plot wise, we'll, we'll probably dissect it, but I, I will admit when the movie started off and introduced what is always like in every movie, the MacGuffin, right? In this case, yes. um, I, for a moment was like, what? And <laughs> I had to, had to like, stop myself you know and i think like i literally had to like flip the switch and just be like yeah I have to no i know you this mean part of it and it's similar mm -hmm. to the mass thing i had to accept that piece i will i will actually agree about the bing rames part i i do agree there i i don't know what it was maybe we'll have a little bit more uh well no major spoilers but maybe we'll have a uh, whatever maybe we'll have a little bit more of luther in the next movie right um but to your to a counterpoint i have to call out simon Pegg and benji especially in one scene i was at the edge of my seat concerned like uh for one scene in particular with him mm -hmm. that i was just like oh my god and i actually thought he did such a phenomenal job in that moment like benji has always been sort of a, a comic relief you know character he's there yeah. to make his jokes he gets put into danger by ethan and like you know he, he's grumpy about it but in this mm -hmm. case, it's not put into danger by Ethan. He's choosing to be in a dangerous situation and right. having to see the emotion in him and the fear, I thought, was really well acted on Simon Pegg's part, who's another actor I truly adore. Um, right. I think he's I think he's a phenomenal actor. And, uh, I, you know, so my counterpoint for Luther is like, yeah, but Benji. <laughs> yeah, Be Benji, I love like Benji. I think to your point, I agree completely started off as like comic relief and still is because obviously Simon Pegg is such an incredible comedic actor. But. I like the, I think the one of the miracles of that character is that they have turned him kind of like into the heart of the movie and the heart of the group in that like by this movie small spoiler he's like saying that his friends are like the most mm -hmm. important thing to and before he said it i literally whispered to my friend i was like it's his friends that he said it i was like yes i'm like see yeah. i understand these movies and i love that i connect with these characters on that level but woof like i i felt concerned for him but i there was something about also like the camera i feel like these things sound so nitpicky but like some of the camera angles like why are you in his, like get the camera out of his face why are you hiding <laughs> and then again i'm reading stuff after the fact like are they hiding the fact that the, you know are they trying to hide the seams by like you know being being so close up on the actors because not all of them were together i, I don't know it was bizarre it felt like the movie was speaking in a language that i didn't understand anymore which was frustrating because i feel like i was i was able to speak it for so long you know yeah, it's um, it was a little frustrating. I'll be honest, but all I can have is my genuine uh, reaction, right? Yeah, no matter how wrong that may be, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, <laughs> uh, it is the same director, which is interesting, right? Like, yes, and the same you, writer. And I'm yeah, like, when Top you Gun, go we back... just thought you do it amazingly well in Top yep. Gun, and I know it's a little bit apples and oranges, but it's kind of not. It's action and story that's like barely passable in order to keep it all together so between mission impossible and top gun we have seen this small group of people do it in not just well incredibly well and it just i can't help but feel like this was a little bit of a miss for for things that are maybe were out of their control in the COVID of it all you know yeah um i am excited to get to the spoiler territory of yes. this to like dive i think i can hear more, the tea but... kettle <laughs> It is time to fill <laughs> the PSRT and get into spoilers. I will do this as quickly as I can for this complicated story. Okay, here we go. Mission Impossible. Dead Reckoning, part one. An experimental AI attacks and sinks a next-generation Russian submarine. 
This is how the movie starts. IMF yeah. agent Ethan Hunt is tasked with a mission to retrieve half of a key from his ally and friend Ilsa Faust, uh, on whom the IMF has placed a bounty. So he travels to the Arabian desert where he obtains the half a key from Ilsa. Back in the U.S., Ethan infiltrates a meeting of U.S. intelligence community where officials from various agencies discuss an artificial intelligence referred to as the entity. So now we have a, a quote-unquote face to the name, not an actual face. Uh, originally designed to sabotage digital systems, the entity went rogue, achieved sentience, and infiltrated all the major defense and military networks of the world. Basically, the all AI the world does. powers <laughs> are now racy. I know, right? Like, I couldn't possibly understand the story. It seems so far away from what we're going through currently. Uh, <laughs> various now, all the world powers are racing against time to protect their national security from this like anonymous entity that they don't really know anything about. Uh, the thing with the key that I mentioned is that this key can be used against the entity in some way or used to harness it, but nobody really knows what it does. Just that it's like the MacGuffin thing that we need to find now to like stop the entity. Uh, believing that the entity poses too great a risk to humanity, Ethan seeks to destroy it. So far, so good. He and his teammates, Benji and Luther, travel to Abu Dhabi International Airport to intercept the holder of the other half of the key, because they only have half. Ethan evades agents of the intelligence community while there, because they're always chasing him, while the uh, half a key is stolen by a professional thief named Grace, who is played by our beloved Haley Atwell. Uh, but she's doing that on behalf of a buyer. So now we're in Rome. Ethan tracks down Grace uh, before the intelligence community agents that are kind of after him, but also after her and the key uh, intercept them. And also we meet Gabriel, who's an entity liaison with ties to Ethan's pre-IMF pass. We have like this actor playing this person who we don't know, but people who I saw the movie with who hadn't seen any of the other movies thought that we had seen him in like a previous movie because of the flashbacks yeah. that we were getting. So it was all kinds of confusing. To be, to be fair, the way it's presented, yes. if, if I didn't know, I also would have assumed that. The way it's presented right, it was, it was just like, like oh, was that from part one? I was like, no. I literally <laughs> had to rack my brains to just go through everything. And I was just like, no, nope, nope. We've never seen it. No, nope, right, exactly. Yeah. I did the same thing. Because the other thing is the girl that they fridge in that flashback yes. that is like killed looks just like Haley Atwell. So it's like extra <laughs> confusing. It's just a random person who we never learned her name or maybe we learned her name, but I don't remember. Um, so all these things Maria? are cooking at the I same time. I think it time. might be Maria. <laughs> that sounds right. Uh, after a very lengthy car chase that I'm sure we'll have fun talking about uh, in Rome, Grace escapes again. Damn it, Grace. Uh, Ethan and Ilsa infiltrate a party held by arms dealer Alano, who we know from a previous the movie. White Widow. Uh, White Widow, yes. Uh, we're in Venice. There's this party in Venice. And they're hoping to find Grace's buyer and learn the purpose of the key. At the party, Grace encounters Gabriel. Gabriel is the uh, pre-IMF ethan connection who now is like haunting ethan in this way and we don't know why gabriel tells the group that the entity has infiltrated the party kevin <laughs> the entity yeah, yeah. at the party uh, when they did the pullout and he's just like on the like the the, 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 the logo of the party is just wow, like, right. uh, <laughs> he has branding I don't know. yeah I, uh, I again i was like yeah i mean this is still this is still fun but we'll, we'll get to the problems with this uh the entity has infiltrated this party and is on all these screens and uh determined this he the entity communicates through gabriel that one of ethan's allies either ilsa or grace will die has now like foretold this thing so they all scatter afterwards ethan spares the life of gabriel's subor subordinate paris uh, Gabriel subdues Grace, but actually ends up killing Ilsa before Ethan can intervene. He's too busy running for 20 minutes. And of course, Ethan is devastated. A remorseful Grace is convinced to join Ethan's team, the IMF, and they prepare to board this Orient Express train where Alana will meet with her buyer. Okay, so now we set up the final gambit. On the train, Gabriel kills the engineer and the fireman of the of the train, destroys the throttle and the brake, which is like, of course, this now this train is just billowing, uh, barreling towards death. Train. <laughs> uh, before, yeah, uh, all before meeting uh, Denlinger, played by Carrie Elwes, who we met at the beginning of the movie, who proposes an alliance between himself and the entity. So, you know, in this case, Gabriel is just the, the go-between between the entity and, and this guy. Uh, Denlinger explains that the complete key unlocks the chamber housing the computer of the Russian submarine. So the Russian submarine that we saw at the beginning has the thing in it that can destroy the entity. So that's why the entity sank it. Wow, answers now. So this early version of the entity, the entity does not want anybody to get, which is why nobody can have this key. 
Gabriel kills Denlinger, now aware of the secret that nobody else has, and attempts to kill Paris, his subordinate, because the entity has foretold that Paris will betray him. I love that. I can't wait to talk about that. Uh, impersonating Alana, Grace brings the complete key to the buyer, who she learns to be Kittredge, who we know from the first movie and was in this movie earlier on, but just hilarious and crazy that they brought this person back uh though tempted to betray ethan for a hundred million dollars and protection for herself she decides against it pickpockets the key from kidridge and flees she's very good at fleeing in this movie ethan parachutes off a cliff onto the train yes, which is yes, putting it mildly yes. uh to save grace but gabriel acquires the key ethan overpowers gabriel on top of the train but the ladder escapes and detonates the bridge ahead so now the train is barreling towards actual death because the bridge is out Grace and Ethan uh, detach the locomotive from the rest of the train, saving all the passengers. It's very dramatic and cool. Just before they are about to plunge down the broken bridge, they are saved by Paris, who Ethan had spared her life before. So here we go. And she informs Ethan about the connection to the Sevastopol, which is the submarine. So now Ethan is aware of what the key does and now falls unconscious from her injuries as Ethan flees the train with the complete key, which he has pickpocketed from Gabriel. Yay, reveal. During their skirmish, Grace informs Kittredge that she has chosen to join the IMF. Thank God Haley Atwell is here to stay. Yes, we we lost to Rebecca, but gained to Haley. Uh, <laughs> it's just kind of insulting I, to me. Like, I, Kevin, listen, should we not be insulted that, like, okay, Rebecca Ferguson, you're aging out. So because you're a female, we're going to get uh, Haley Atwell, who's a little younger. But it doesn't matter that Tom Cruise is older. That never matters. Got it? Counterpoint. Uh, she's hanging out on Arrakis right now, so I do think true that you is have the to get rid thing. of her between being in Silo and Dune. I feel like a Re a Rebecca Ferguson's scorecard was a little, uh, a little packed. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, I, I do want to say this before we get deep into this because mm -hmm. I, I have to just point it out. I know it's reductive what I'm about to say, but I just have to point out for me personally, this movie is a bit unfair, and I'm equating this we already okay. had simon Pegg. we already had tom cruise which listen he is a very they're both very handsome men but then mm -hmm. i am already in love with rebecca ferguson but then you throw in Haley atwell you bring back vanessa kirby you have palm in there like it was it's it was like, even uh, what is his name aside rapic or whatever his the, the actor who plays gabriel also stupidly attractive yeah i was just losing my mind on just the attractive people alone and also this is the worst thing I'm probably going to say, but I'm going to say it so everyone can come at me. Here we go. No, no one has looked as hot in an eye patch than, than Rebecca Ferguson in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, when she when put the eye patch on, I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> I was mad that they showed it in the trailer so much. And I know you're like a trailer reverse person for the most yes, part, but like they used that shot in the trailer. And I, once I saw how cool she looked putting it on, I, know, I was gosh. mad that they had wasted it in the trailer because it's such a great shot. I agree. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> it's amazing. And I love, I love her. And now I'm supposed to choose between her and uh, Haley Atwell. I guess the movie chose for me, but, <laughs> but yeah, it the just movie feels, did. it feels not great. And I'll be honest, like, I, I secretly love Haley Atwell more than Rebecca Ferguson, but still, I love them both. Why? I do Why love them both. I love them both so much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we still got we still got Vanessa Kirby. She's still alive. Um, Vanessa who, Kirby do... with the I I don't want to say um I don't want to say the wrong word. Really great unhinged eyes. Yeah. Very like <laughs> wide eyed. Like uh -huh. I will kill you in your sleep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's she's got the deranged Disney princess thing going. Mm -hmm. um, Don't eat the apple, just or in general. Do. Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah, I, I mean that's the summary, right? I will say right now, like the part that I like wanted at the beginning was the AI, where I was just like, "Is this what we're doing? Is this is this what's happening uh, right now?" It's just it, there's something there's something weird about it. Before we get to the AI, I just want to put like a a I don't. A, a period on the end of the sentence that is Haley Atwell, like for sure, far and away, heads and shoulders, the best part of this movie. So charming and every scene she's in, believable in a way that not everyone is in this movie for whatever reason, for whatever the realities were when they were filming and acting. What a star. Like I already knew she was amazing, but she she really literally saves the film for me. Like if it weren't for her, I don't know how I would feel about this movie. So Haley Atwell 
you are my Captain Carter for saving this movie. She's so good. I could also talk about Haley Abel and the Captain Carter, <laughs> obviously, for days. <laughs> <laughs> But no, let's instead transition to the most boring bad guy that the Mission Impossible universe has ever had. This ring of light. And yes. it's not its not a ring light. Don't be fooled. It is the entity. Kevin, is there anything to, like, and then I hate that, like, sometimes, and it sounds like you, you know what I'm aware of because you kind of, like, had to flip a certain switch off, it sounds mm -hmm. like, in your brain. These are your words. 100%. Uh, and I was less successful in my attempt to because i have had to do that for other movies that i genuinely love like a scream if you will you know movies like that yes this movie i, I couldn't help but again that part of my brain was just active my like media literacy brain or my media mm -hmm. criticism brain right of like is it because this bad guy has literally no personality and no face that i just feel like that's such a big part of the Mission Impossibles, right? Of the, or the Missions Impossible, <laughs> where like the the bad guy is, sometimes he's off his rocker. Sometimes he's like a little bit too much, like in part two, but you always believe him. You're always getting a lot of emotion from this person. You're, even if you don't agree with their politics or their worldview, you very much believe that this person does. And it gives, it's always such a foil for Ethan and his team to play off of and be trying to beat. And in this movie, you have like, Yes, you do have the liaison of the entity, which is like Ethan's ex-partner that killed his original girlfriend that set him in this on this whole journey to join the IMF. That's all cool. But even he doesn't have a lot to do. So we're left with like the ring light. And I'm just like less compelled. I'm like, I think they needed to put a face on it. Should they have put Corey Stoll's face on, oh God, on the <laughs> stretched out? I I will. It's I definitely see where you're coming from and I equate it in a weird way. Like it's the, it's literally the eye of Sauron they're trying to pull out here, right? Yeah. Like because okay. they give it this strange eyeball look, but I will <laughs> agree with you. I do think the villain doesn't have a personality here, especially when you consider like Philip Seymour Hoffman in the third one and how good he was. Obviously Henry Cavill in Fallout. Yeah. Um and I forget the actor, but like you know in uh in five who was there and he was at six as well, but also as a villain. I can't remember yes. like yeah, right, right, right. you know who I mean the evil scientists. Yes. Like they are I think really iconic in their villainy. And in this case they had this AI and this I think this is why you have to bring in Gabriel and Gabriel, I agree with you, didn't have enough. There was, I thought, the moment that I was like, oh, I wish we had a little bit more of this. Because he has this, like, assuredness to himself. And I can appreciate that because he's so convinced the AI knows everything. And thus far, the AI seems to. But, like, there's that moment at the end when Ethan has him on top of the train. And he has the knife. And he's so sure Ethan is not going to kill him. And mm -hmm. Ethan starts moving the knife. And you see, like kudos to the acting you see his eyes like go wide and he's just like mm -hmm. oh wait a second and i thought i thought that was excellent i kind of wish there was a little bit more of those things you know yes. um there is a lack of personality with the villain and i think that comes obviously with the ai issue that said there are I like little things as much as like I had to shut my brain off because mm -hmm. I also like you, like we watch a lot of movies, right? Yes. Like too many, AI is <laughs> too many. And honestly, I, 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 you're, it is too many. Like watching as many movies, I think as I've done and as you've done, it kind of breaks movies for you because you, you, you watch them and you pull out things and you're like, I've seen that. I've done that. This is done yeah. better here. Yeah. Like it can that work happens. against you sometimes. It can sure. work a lot against you. And so AI would have done that because we've seen the Renegade AI, whether that's the Matrix or Terminator, like it's it's a standard. But little things I did appreciate is that they they thought about it a bit differently, right? Like mm -hmm. that scene where they're like have to hard copy and there's a bunch of people typing up every single file in existence because yeah. the AI can alter it digitally. So you have to have hard copies, I thought was really fascinating. Mm -hmm. And the idea of like the AI knows us that well, like yes. not just the fact that like, oh, it predicted he's going to get the key, whatever, but that it predicted like you're going to betray us because of this happening. The AI just knows you that well. That's how it knew that. And like on if this was like five years ago, maybe I would have been like, that, that seems ridiculous. Right. 
But when you consider these days about how AI serves us ads and knows about us and targets mm-hmm. us, it's not that far off. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. It's almost like, you know, they were making it and they they didn't know how much further along in the quote unquote, like AI cultural conversation we would be, right? Because they yeah. started making this movie like, you know, pre-pandemic even, as, at least as far as writing, because they were like trying to film it in the middle of, of, of COVID. But to your point, there is really interesting things that even I found about that dynamic with the AI. And I think that had they, it's always a balance, of course. And I don't mean to like, you know, Monday morning quarterback, so to speak, the plot, but like I needed to be in order to like respect or believe or fear, but really respect, I think is the proper word, the AI, I needed to get a little more from it. Like the, that idea, that whole thing that happened uh first first the paris thing because you know the gabriel learns from the ai that paris will probably betray him because ethan spared her life is endlessly fascinating to me because then you're putting that now i've learned something about that character just seeing how Mm -hmm. they're reacting to this because her reaction is wait what like what do you mean you didn't even give me the chance to like make that choice but like you kind of sense in that moment that she knows that it's true and then it eventually does bear out to be true. And then you can make the argument that it only comes true because she heard it. So like, there's yeah. that all like the fate versus, uh, you know, free will of it all. And I think that's genuinely fascinating, but it's a little bit too like shoehorned in. Like I needed that piece of it a little bit more fleshed out. And the other thing that I found really fascinating, the other kind of example of that was then how they, and this is something that I was looking forward to from the outside, like the way that they would try to counteract the AI, right? And it's this really cool scene that I didn't go into in the plot summary because there's too much, but where Luther is saying to Ethan, Ethan, think about it. This is right before like the last act, the last like Mm -hmm. big uh, train scene. The AI thinks you're either going to die on that train or that you're going to kill Gabriel, like, and the AI wins either way. So you have to, no matter what, don't kill Gabriel because that's what the AI wants. And then you get the scene that you were talking about, like on top of the train where like, then Ethan is like fighting that in himself. Like, is this, do I win by not killing him? Like, is this the, that is endlessly fascinating to me of like humans trying to counteract that AI in this way, but there was so little of it. There was, there just wasn't enough for me. Yeah, I I do think that is such a fascinating thing and almost throws back to Tom Cruise's Minority Report, a movie I low-key love. Exactly, yeah. But it is that, right? precognition, like, yeah, if somebody thinks that you're going to do it, does that mean you're going to do it? Which I, you know, I, I twice now, I guess Tom Cruise is like, I'm familiar with how this works. That's what <laughs> you don't have like, to explain yeah, it to me. Yeah. I'm surprised that wasn't part of his big rant that leaked. Was, <laughs> yeah. I know how this works, precognition. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it, it I, I agree with you, right? And I, I do wish there was a little bit more. But when you think about, like, this might be a two-part story, right? Like, it's still part one of two yeah. like maybe there is a little bit more of that and if this is the halfway point it's the introduction of those elements of because they patience. haven't hit i know <laughs> i know it's tough right like <laughs> movies are too long these days this is already this They're is already almost long. three hours of a movie this it's, is like what two <laughs> 243 i think it was it could have uh, been. not including it credits could. i think it was 249 with credits <laughs> it could have been yeah i never know i feel like they've changed the rules that used to always include credits and i feel like these days they flub it and it doesn't always include yeah credits. uh it still could have been like 220 230 i'm just saying yeah. like i know i'm always on this podcast being like this movie was 15 minutes too long but this one for sure could have been a little shorter like especially as it kind of gets to its end actually we'll we'll end with the end but before we get there yeah. uh the 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 motorcycle scene. I mean, well, actually, no. Before the motorcycle scene, the the car chase, like right, yes. like one of the iconic car chase scenes possibly ever in the it's franchise. So it's really a fun one here. I I think that's the thing too, and this goes right back. I have to talk about this because like I watch these action scenes so much because again we we go to too many movies, but like I've had <laughs> such issues, and I hate to pick on the new indie movie, but God, I'm gonna. Um, when you do movies with such heavy CG and like not practical effects or not the like stunt level that we see in something like Mission Impossible, you you can't really get into it. One, it's too damn dark because I've said this a zillion times, but the reason why these movies are dark is because of the CG. You can't Mm. put it in the light. When you do, it looks bad. (laughs) All the imperfections show, yeah. That's why like... 
at first in indie, you're just like, oh, that's the DHing's not that bad. And then they turn on the flashlight, and I'm just like, oh, and it just looks because like that's what happened. So it's mm-hmm. always at night. So you're what do you think Zack Snyder was doing? Things. Oh, Jesus. I mean, I can't. <laughs> oh. So like there's that problem. And because it's like that, and because of the way it has to be shot, there's you lose the like I I hate to use the word impact in an action scene, but the impact. You go back to the old indie movies. It's in daylight. You could feel the stuff happening. You mm-hmm. can see the the effect on his face, which is where I translate here. This car chase is using a lot of practical stuff. Yeah. You get these interactions. You get the like grittiness of it. And one of the things that the new indie loses that is retained here is the charm of the character. And maybe this is just because Harrison Ford's old, and I'm sorry, but like. The kind of like boyish roguish charm is lost because he's not doing the action scenes. He's not there, right? Like it's a cartoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Tom Cruise and Haley Atwell are playing off each other in that scene so well. The jokes are always rapid fire. Like I every movie, Tom Cruise is just somehow so charming. And I think it's what's kept him such an action star. And you see it here where he's trying to get into the seat and because they're handcuffed, he's like, you have to drive like yeah, those yeah. moments i think those moments so between well. them yeah i thought were very yeah. effective again it could be Haley atwell with a coat hanger like trying it's to talk true. to it like this would be the, that would be compelling because it would mm-hmm. because she's that good but uh i agree that scene the scenes between them for sure always work and the way that that car scene is just shot and it's unrelenting and you kind of have that experience of, Oh God, how far is this going to go? And it's just yep. going, going, going. And that's what you want. And then they get the crappy use, small from car. A, from a part seven. <laughs> yeah. That was hilarious when it's a small car and you have Ethan basically like kind of apologizing to yeah. her. <laughs> like, I'm sorry that this one is so small. It's usually not like this. Uh, <laughs> It was was hilarious and very charming, and it's one of the. It's a great, you know, it's it's not like my favorite stunt they've ever done, but it was a very right. well executed and clearly very difficult, therefore impressive thing to pull off. Well, what's interesting about like even the stunts there, right? Like it's still a, an action car chase, and you either love them or you hate them or you're like okay with them. Like the more impressive right. stunts, to your point to me, are things like what we see later, you know, when we get to it. But even in the previous movies, I think, like, bizarrely, a stunt that I thought was one of the most impressive wasn't even his, like, um, whatever, zero gravity drop or whatever that he trained right. 100 hours for. That was insane to, to have to do. But, like, when he drops just from the helicopter and falls on the, like, Onto box the of thing, packages. Yeah, fallout, yeah. That was so, like, like, my heart, like just stop for a second. I thought that was even more scary and more impressive because it yeah. feels like there's something, there's a distance between literally jumping out of that and then this and so, or, or that yes. rather with the, with the fall. Um, so like, I think that's what, what, what helps. And the, the car chase is not the most impressive stunt to your point, but it was just, it's just so well shot because they can do so much more because they're there, you know, they're physically there doing things. Right. Um, I, you know, and before we get to the actual like jaw dropping sequence, <laughs> yeah. which was him jumping off this cliff, I just want to pay respect to a character that I care a lot about, Ilsa R.A.P. Yes. Uh, very, in my opinion, unceremoniously killed, like <laughs> on this bridge. And again, there's something about the way this was shot. I think this is a good example of what I could point to where I understand that narratively Ethan was like lost and he was being, he was literally being directed by a fake Benji, right? Like the AI mm-hmm. is pretending to be Benji and like giving him directions and he has them off course. But then we just get like this weird sequence made even weirder by the fact that earlier in the movie, like he's just running on top of that airport and nothing really comes of it. He just like runs to the next scene, which yeah. I thought was strange, but whatever here, more importantly, when Ilsa dies, it's so clear that they're like really stretching it emotionally in a way that I guess you could argue the character deserves, right? Like I, the, the alternative is to not give her any time. And that feels more disrespectful to just kind of like kill her off and then quickly move on. Like you want it to land and you want Ethan to really feel it, but something about the editing or the, it just felt, I said this to my friend afterwards, like the movie overall. And I think it applies to this scene the the franchise overall always feels like it's so light on its feet in every good way, whether it's an action scene, whether it's the comedy, whether it's the way these characters like bounce off on each other, bounce off of each other. It feels very light and very uh, 
just nimble, like in a way that is always mm -hmm. enjoyable to me. And both this scene and the movie overall just felt super clunky and kind of uh, wrong-footed or flat-footed. It just, uh, I wanted more. I deserve better. I don't think that's actually the worst, like, uh, criticism is to be like, I've seen you do it so much better. Like, it's not like <laughs> I hate you. It's, I'm disappointed. I feel like a parent. I'm disappointed. <laughs> I'm just disappointed. Uh, I do think to your point, right? Like the editing in that scene is weird, but it's also a, a strange one. I liked it a little bit because I honestly didn't know whether she was going to die or not. And I think actually this yeah. is applicable too to the scene I talked about with Benji, right? When he's solving the puzzle, like legit knowing this was like the seventh movie, this was part one. I was like, I think they, they're going to kill someone. Who is yeah. it going to be? I don't know. And so, like, I kept expecting someone to die. And, like, in the previous ones, they've kind of, like, teased it happening or, like, you felt like maybe, but it doesn't really go that way, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I was actually a little surprised it went that way this time. Um, but, uh, not. listen, <laughs> Rebecca Ferguson fighting with a sword. What? Come on. It's cool. No, that was cool. <laughs> I just feel like I, I will disagree a little bit. Only the simple fact of... I felt like it was, I felt it coming. Like I think setting, mm -hmm. setting up, I very much didn't know who was going to die, but then once Haley Atwell kind of got away and it was like, now you have to deal with me, like her to Gabriel. I was like, Oh, it's clearly her. And I feel like they were telegraphing it like as they're going, because Ethan is just getting like farther and farther away, seemingly instead yeah. of closer. And then they start the dramatic music, which again, I think her character absolutely deserves, but it was like, you know, like I've seen this on Grey's Anatomy. You're already telling me what's gonna happen. <laughs> the yeah, music. It's the music. The music was the one music. <laughs> music sometimes does like you know you got to really get a good solo composer in, in yes. there to like hit those notes. And not all action movies, especially, have that, and they they telegraph a little bit too much. Yeah, I think the they're not used thing, to though, doing this heavy of a scene. Yes. just in any movie. So I I will say this about this scene though, and the Mission Impossible franchise as a whole. As a person who also has seen all the Fast movies, I'm just happy to get emotions from people. And, like, that's something... That <laughs> it's I about family. Okay, it's, this is uh, about family as well. Just like the Fast movies. Except, like, in these movies, they, they react and care when your family member might have died or something dramatic happens. It's yeah, wild even, to me. Even yeah. Tom Cruise's uh, somewhat, no shade, but somewhat, like tinkered with face i can definitely yeah. see emotions that i do not see on bentuzzo's face ever no. <laughs> even it, in the first few movies listen this is a whole other thing but like we're here to talk movies so it's gonna happen and especially these types of movies right uh, i think like what they're watching this film again like it's been a while since i, I saw fallout right like mm -hmm. uh, well it's only been like a year i rewatched them all i think last year um but uh Tom Cruise, I, another reason I think he continues to succeed as an action star, and like you're seeing a bit difference here. When you take like Vin Diesel and you take The Rock, especially, there's this like odd toxicity to masculinity that comes off of those two because it's like you can't show emotion in your characters or therefore now your movie because that makes you look weak. So, like in the previous Fast movie, Tyrese looked like he died for a second, and Lu and Luda, who's his best friend, has zero reaction on his face, and that's insane to me. But the reason why is because he can't show weakness or emotion because that's unmasculine. And like, I'm not saying like they themselves are like mm -hmm. that necessarily, ludicrous or Tyrese, right, right, right. But, but that's the character. But like, it's the character because sure. it's also dictated by Vin Diesel. They also mm -hmm. refuse to make themselves, at <laughs> least Vin Diesel and The Rock, especially, make themselves look like fools anymore. Uh -huh. Like The Rock ever rarely looks like a fool. Right, Ethan constantly will look like a fool and i can appreciate yeah. that it makes the character feel more grounded more real and like i that's another reason i really like these franchises and i i still think he's there with that he has a lot of that in here yeah um whether it's being sad about ilsa or you know like talking to benji just like it's all right this mountain gonna go down anytime soon mm -hmm. <laughs> you know like moments yeah, like it's, that uh you know speaking of this mountain we've teased it enough i think already at this point there's the big uh, not quite finale, but near finale. It's certainly like the finale stunt uh, yeah, of like, this is the big like exclamation point on this movie. Each movie has like only one or two mouth drop or jaw dropping, uh, mouth watering. If you're into, if you're into action that much sequences <laughs> that kind of stick out in your mind that they usually 
put on the poster. Mm -hmm. And in this one, which again is something that they very heavily used in the movie, in the movie trailer, it is Ethan. Didn't see it. <laughs> motor, it is Ethan motorcycle jumping off of a cliff. And there was even yes. like an IMAX. Uh, I forgot what movie it was that they showed it before, like a uh, extended trailer where it was like a behind the scenes interviewing uh, Chris McQuarrie and 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 Tom Cruise himself about this jump. You know, the the mountain stone part is CGI'd, but there is a wooden ramp or whatever they built it out of. There is a ramp that they built in that same shape that he literally did actually jump off of. And that was the whole big deal. And if you unless you've been under a rock or waiting for him at the bottom of that mountain uh you didn't know that he really did this but that's his whole shtick for like the last whatever 10 15 years the, the reason i bring up the trailer thing is because i was worried that i had seen the jump so many times that by the time it finally happened in the movie it will have lost all of its mojo so to speak and i am happy to report that especially seeing it on a huge imax screen I had a very similar reaction to you. There was somebody else in the theater who let out an expletive for me, but the entire theater goes silent and you just see him falling and the camera tips over the yep. ledge so that you're looking down at what he's seeing. It was pretty breathtaking. I got to admit. It really was. It was jaw it was jaw dropping. And like for me again, like that's the moment cuz I hadn't seen it. So like I was just watching, I was just like, oh God, is what I think about to happen gonna happen? And it is a dead silence, and then it happens, and it's just Jesus Christ. Cause you know he did it. Like that's it. <laughs> he tripped off, off a cliff. I there he I, goes. I feel like I, I've said this about Tom Cruise before, but I am convinced this man has been big fished in some way, where some prophet has actually maybe Zenu has told him this is how you're gonna die. And he now knows, well, I can do all this other stuff. This is why I can do my own stunts. I know what will kill me. This ain't it. And so, like, it's insane the amount of things that he does um, like this and the stunts he does. So I'm I'm personally extremely convinced that he has seen the future and he knows what will eventually take him out. And he knows that driving off a cliff <laughs> with a motorcycle he used, won't He be used it. the entity and the entity yeah. is like... You will make nine of these movies successfully until you die filming the 10th one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So now he's prepared. He's prepared. He knows what's going to happen. He's like, I literally can't die. That is hilarious. And that is now what I will choose to believe for the rest of time. Is he just yeah. knows. Imagine, he knows. I, this is what I always think of when I watch these scenes. Imagine like the life insurance policy on this man. Like how expensive it was. I will say that this is also the worst part, right? Because it probably all goes to the Church of Scientology. Which is oh God, that's true. <laughs> please leave it for the church. Yeah, please. <laughs> woof, woof, woof. As I fan myself, yeah. um, this ending scene. So, like after that, there is this other, like what I would call, like a sneaky, cool action scene. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I really applaud, actually, the movie for doing. And the more I sit with it, the more that this is my favorite. Separate from Haley Atwell, of course, because she's my number one in this movie for now and always. But the number two thing that I enjoy the most from this movie is that is the uh scene of the train cars slowly off, falling yeah. and it's because of how long and how successfully they emotionally ratchet that up because they just continue to have to crawl through up so like you have these uh these train cars that are very very slowly starting to fall off like first go over the edge off this cliff this broken bridge and then slowly under the weight of everything else that's hanging start to fall and you have Haley atwell's character grace and ethan hunt both like climbing it having to climb through these various cars and get to the next one while the next one is also falling so there's like so much nervous anxious energy while you're watching it and in the beginning i was kind of like Oh, now this, this is dumb. But by the time the scene is over, they have done such a good job of earning the exhaustion, frankly, even just from us. We feel their exhaustion, but our emotional exhaustion is felt so hard. And I it, I was surprised. I think the reason it sticks out in my head is I was surprised at how successful that whole part actually is. Yeah, I think it ties back to the again the 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 physicalness and and the the, the them doing it right. Yeah, I remember right, reading real this life. part afterwards. Yeah, 
that um, there's that moment where it's like that zero gravity where they're up in the air briefly and fall down because of how the train like lifts and collapses. And apparently that was a hundred percent just the, they did it the practical way. Like they didn't CG that, right? Like it was like, they literally dropped them. <laughs> and so yeah. they like lifted up into the air and dropped back down. And I, again, I, it, it shows and you feel it with movies like this. And I think that's why these movies still has an effect. Cause like, I think even hearing you talk about this, like maybe the plot wasn't your favorite and the characters weren't as good, but in terms of like the visualness of it all and like the stunts, it sounds like, this is still pretty up there. I mean, it's it, it's up there in the sense of like my my specific experience watching those very specific scenes okay. <laughs> overall. And yeah, like you could, I would say, I would even go so far as to say that those action scenes, certainly that last one that I just spoke so so highly of, stands up and like the, all the action scenes that I've seen across the year for sure. I can say that, and we know that. Like that part didn't surprise me because again. And I don't think it's unfair to keep bringing this up. We have seen the movies do it so many times. So in actuality, yeah. it's harder for them to impress any of us, let alone stupid old me, with, with like an action scene like this because we have seen them do so much. And like you can feel them having, the, having an idea and then like really blowing it up in an effective way that totally worked. And I just wanted, to the movie franchise's credit, so many times the plot and the characterization and everything else about the movie m rises to match that. And that I think mm -hmm. has been the magic of these movies overall. And I felt like in this case, it, it fell a little flat. I, I'm, I'm genuinely curious about the last movie, but I'll be honest, especially now that these articles just came out of like Tom Cruise had anxiety over ending mission impossible movie on a cliffhanger. Like he felt like it would have, um, you know been like a cheat or whatever i just saw the headline but i was too insulted to like read it because i by the time the movie ended i was like okay that was fun but like am i feeling at all interested like i want to know where this story's going beyond the mission impossible headline not really like i felt like the ending fell a little flat for me in wanting because at the at the minimum whether you care if it's a part one or not at the minimum you want to end part one looking forward to part two whether you're dreading it whether you're worried whatever the emotion you want to feel a emotion and i was just kind of like eh. <laughs> <laughs> i guess for me right like i just I'm excited every time a Mission Impossible is coming up. So like, if I'm excited for the next one, I'm also excited just because it's, I guess, a Mission Impossible movie. Um, and I know that I, I personally probably have like a really good time there. Um, but it does end in a way. You're right. I think because of the the want to end it in a almost self-contained way, uh, to make it feel like a whole movie, it does feel like this is okay this this wrapped and you're sort of just like well there is stuff to do in the next movie but they end on a pretty decent note the heroes are all in a pretty decent spot well not ilsa but everyone else is in a pretty decent spot but, yeah. <laughs> she's still on that bridge <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even bring her back they left her like we have um, to go the police yeah, we gotta go um but yeah i i feel like there's um a wholeness to it and so it's weird to be like now i'm really excited for the next one because this movie felt like okay well the heroes did get the key and maybe there's the AI is still out there but like yeah it, it, the, I, I will say the ending is weird and i think that i was i haven't really thought too much about it because i was too like amped about the other aspects but it does have a strange ending that doesn't feel like a cliffhanger and maybe that's part of it too yeah it's like a voiceover from kittredge i think like he's basically describing like Haley atwell's new life to her or like warning her about ethan something like that yeah. and it just kind of felt like again i couldn't help but afterwards think like did they like just not shoot the ending that they had in mind but now <laughs> reading these articles about like tom cruise that he didn't want to end on a cliffhanger like maybe there was an internal discussion and they did like shoot a cliffhanger and they decided not to like we don't know. And I feel like there's things that we'll probably never know or will slowly trickle out later on about like the COVID of it all and how much it actually impacted. And, you know, I don't know. The... At least it won't impact the next one because like I think specifically they... they no, I mean, it's not like there's like yeah. a writer strike or like an actor. Well, strike there's also that. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the second one. But 
Yeah, super. These are the new supernatural forces trying to keep the the Mission Impossible capitalism at bay. <laughs> and just another thing for the IMF to have to to have to overcome. <laughs> this time, it's the right. Yeah. The mission, if you choose to accept it. Your mission, uh, should you choose to accept it, is union to busting. I don't accept. I don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> to get these monstrous corporations to stop uh victimizing the people that work for them and he's like no i won't go against the church and it's like no that wasn't actually the mission but whatever um <laughs> incredible uh kevin is there anything else you want to you want to say about these movies that's that's more you'd be um, more positive than where than where i took, <laughs> took these i mean listen uh ariel's wrong uh the critics agree with me <laughs> <laughs> listen uh, every the one of the few times that i disagree with both the critic score and the audience score I have to say, though, like, I do think because of the grandioseness of it, it's a Mission Impossible movie, right? To your point, the movies are known for this. They've done it. I I don't say this often. In fact, I almost never say this. But I do feel like this movie is worth a theater watch to be in there and see it on the screen. And especially Mm -hmm. that scene with the cliff jump and the train at the end. It is worth going to the theater to check this one out. Um, Because... Even at the end of the day, for me, like I, I really liked it, and by no means do I think it's like a bad movie because I've seen a lot of bad movies this year, <laughs> and uh, this one's I think better than just the two I already mentioned of the Flash and Indy alone. I'm like, this is this is better. Um, but like, I yeah, I, I I think it's for that reason worth it to go to the theater to watch it. But like I don't know, the, if if you want to hold out for Barbie, I get it too, because I'm also going to be going. <laughs> You're like I get one a month, and this month yeah. I'm waiting for Barbie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's hilarious. I personally cannot wait for Barbie. Same. I think <laughs> that <laughs> I think that um, first of all, I will say very quickly that. I enjoyed the indie movie. I don't. I don't want to get into a thing. We, like, we don't, but we it don't, just has. It has something. It is imperfect. To be clear, I don't think it's a a a perfect movie. I certainly don't think it's the the best indie film or anything. I just think it it has what I felt like this movie did not, which was a heart. Like that movie still. And maybe it was John Williams doing a lot of work for me as a kid. You know that score. I will. I will concede that point perhaps, but uh, I will. I'll go see that before I go see this again. But having said that, having said that last thing, I completely agree. If you're going to see this movie, see it in a theater. I have said on this podcast many times, even the worst movie, even my least favorite movie of all time, which I don't even know what that is, would be better experienced in a theater than at home. So, you know, if you if you're on the fence about it, I would for sure say this is the kind of movie that's worth uh, seeing on the big screen. And um yeah, I don't know. That's that's Mission Impossible or Mission Colon Impossible, Dead Reckoning hyphen Part One. Who knows when Part Two will come out? Uh, yeah. As long who as knows? AI, like Spider Verse, long... we're never to get continuations <laughs> to any knows? of the between Spider Verse and Fast the Fast Ten, which also uh-huh. was a cliffhanger. X One, X One Two, and X One Three. Christ. Yeah, but we'll be here probably still covering things unless AI has found a way to overtake all of our podcasting jobs. Uh, but we certainly hope not. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Thanks for having where me. Where are you on social media these days and where can people find you? What else have you got going on? Yeah, um, so uh, along with being on here, I'm going to be on the uh, Ladder Movie Podcast uh, this week where we're going to be talking about Batman Begins, which is going to be really fun. Um, you know, uh, there's Everything is Super with Josh Wiggler and I on this network right here. Post-show recaps cover superhero content. Uh, we didn't really have much after we finished The Flash. Uh, we're going to probably do Blue Beetle once that comes out. Um, but you can check that out. But other than that, I'm covering... Uh, Doctor Who on the Who Way podcast yes. here on PSR, uh, where me, Melissa, and Adam are going through the Doctor Who series. We just finished season four, arguably, um, the, I guess, the start of like one of the best eras of Doctor Who. Uh, it's Ooh, a phenomenal nice season, man. a phenomenal canyon. Well, it's the last tenant leading into uh, the it's last month. tenant before. Like that, yeah, that era right there for me is top notch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt Smith is my favorite, but we're getting mm-hmm. there soon, so... Um, check that out if you're a Doctor Who fan or you're interested in Doctor Who. Um, honestly, season four is a great place to start. Uh, we kind of 
did the whole season. Normally we curate stuff as we go. We will be curating a little bit more, but season four was just not good. Um, as for where you can find me, you can check me on Instagram uh, at the Bahadman. You can also find me on Blue Sky with the same. Um, and uh, I think those are two main places. Uh, I don't, I don't like Twitter, so don't go there. <laughs> Just don't go there. Yeah, I, I logged on to the Threads app, and I meant to try to get. I think, and then I just forgot. I'm realizing that just now. Uh, but that happened. Yeah. Just a window into my world. Uh, I am. I am also on the social meds, but I'm on the bad one that Kevin doesn't like. I'm on Twitter at that other Ariel, uh, hoping to have a Threads thing lined up soon because apparently that's a thing that everyone's doing. That I will say that that seems to have the most critical mass out of all of these. Like uh, you know, alternatives that have popped up. But as usual, it's going to take a little while for like culture overall to decide like which one is the one we're using if, yeah, if at I all mean, it may never be like the big monolith ever again but it seems like everyone just collapses we're just that will, yeah it, it ai like, the entity yeah. comes and just like no more social media and we don't yeah, probably all be I mean, a lot happier honestly, uh, yeah. i'm covering what else am i covering so many things here on pusher recaps covering the after party with jess and grace the new season so funny so far especially the most recent episode covering dark a netflix show i love a lot speaking of like free will and fate a lot of that cool stuff that's me and grace and dm philly as we were like on the last two episodes now so i'm super bummed about that that it's ending and covering uh, some unhinged Grey's Anatomy mid, or not mid-season, between-season coverage, because now with the writer strike again, we don't know when that's coming back. But uh, Chappelle and I will be back with a character deep dive later this month. I think that's everything. Um, thank you so much for listening, if you've made it this far. And we'll be back next week with the big one. This is it, Kevin. You teased it. It's Barbenheimer. We're not going to do one episode on both because that would be too long, but we will be covering both. So look out for that. Uh, but until then, I'm Ariel. Grace is somewhere. And we are pushing the theater. <laughs>